0: Hello and welcome to the Mount Brook Baptist Project 119 Bible Reading Plan podcast. I'm Mary and it's my pleasure on this Friday, January twenty sixth, to welcome a guest to the podcast. Today we have reading for us Dr. Kelly Hatley. Dr. Hatley is the Minister of Music and the Minister to Active Christian Living, which means those who are over 55 years old. He also does so much to help Even this morning, we're recording on Tuesday, he was working with the men's breakfast, and Kelly and I saw the hand of the Lord at work through the body of Christ this past Sunday when a group of people came together to serve the Lord and the church by preparing for a meal for the New Members Fellowship. He's going to tell you about that at the end of the podcast, but first, we need to get into God's Word, so thank you, Kelly, for joining us today. And for reading the scriptures for us.
1: Thank you, Mary, for having me. Today's gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. And this is Jesus speaking. He also told them a parable Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And now we'll turn our attention to the psalm for the day, which is Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre! I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter, Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O oh God, with our armies. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes.
0: Thank you so much, Kelly, for joining the podcast and for reading so beautifully for us. I want to tell everyone that's listening that you are the best storyteller on staff. And so, as I was thinking about the events that past this this weekend I wanted you to tell the story. So this past weekend we were having a new members fellowship and our hostess Miss Carrie Hansen was supposed to be here but she got really sick. And so we do want to be praying for Carrie and her recuperation. But once Kelly found out about Carrie not being able to be there, he went into action. So I'm passing it to you Kelly, tell me what happened.
1: I had finished the uh, first service, and I had come down to my office in between the two services, just doing a little bit of work. When I reached down, and my phone buzzed, and I looked at it, and it was from you and Amy to the entire staff telling us that Carrie was ill. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And then I began to see texts between you and Amy, well, we could call this restaurant. Maybe we could call this one, and they might could do it. Course, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't think there's a restaurant on this planet that will take a <laughs> catering order for 100 people on the day of an event, five hours from the time we're having to serve it. So then I chimed in on the text thread and asked you guys if we could ask the cooks on mission if they could help because they're excellent cooks. And um, of course, we began to get responses back from them that several were out of town and that they weren't able to make it and they wished that they could, they wanted to help. Uh, we did have four that were able to come from Cooks on Mission and help, but the majority of the group was out. And so I began to rack my brain <laughs> of uh, people in the choir. And
0: one of them was your lovely wife. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And she was so overjoyed that I volunteered <laughs> her. No, I, I caught her at, in the car as she was about to leave the parking lot. And I said, You can't leave. And she said, What do you mean? I said, I need you to come back by 1.30 and cook for these people tonight. And, of course, she goes, I can't cook for 111 people. I don't know what to do. And I promised her that she would not be alone. And I grabbed uh, my oldest daughter, Hannah Grace, who was in the car, too, and I said, I need you, too. So they both agreed to come back. And then I started calling around choir members, and um, I explained the situation to all of them. And, you know, none of them had a negative comment. In fact, most of them said, sure, and if it wasn't sure the first thing they said, they said, what time you need me to be there? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was amazing. And so I gathered all these ladies together at 1.30. I explained the situation. I told them where the food was in the, in the refrigerator because I had spoken with Gary. And she had told me where everything was. I said, this is the menu. Uh, pork loin, black-eyed peas, broccoli, rolls, and salad. And... They just volunteered for one part of the meal, and everybody took it on, and they cooked it up, and it was absolutely amazing.
0: It really was. It was so well-prepared and really scrumptious. I was just amazed at the spirit of unity in that kitchen. When I walked in, everybody was just so chipper and excited to be a part of something.
1: Yeah, they uh, all remarked to me after it was over how much fun they had Mm -hmm. enjoying serving together, and sometimes a different way in which they're put into the same environment with the same people they know, but different from how they normally encounter them. And so uh, they laughed, and they told jokes, and they found funny things about their cooking skills, and it was just really, really fun.
0: Well, I praise God for you putting yourself out there and, (laughs) and gathering the group together. It was really special. This morning, we're recording on Tuesday, you also were a part of a group that was cooking, Tell me about the men's breakfast group.
1: Yes, we have five guys that come, and each of us has a job that we do together. Um, I I cook sausage gravy. Bob does eggs. Jansen Voss did pancakes today. Eddie Elliott does the bacon. And Grantley Rice does the grits. Mm. And uh, we put it all together and throw it out on the line by 6.30 a.m.
0: <laughs> now, Kelly, that sausage gravy is pretty famous. How did you get your <laughs> recipe? <laughs> I,
1: I always hope that my kids will remember me for something, and I think it's going to be for the gravy. <laughs> That's their favorite thing that I make. Um, but I learned how to do that in uh, where, when I served at the First Baptist Church of Woodbridge, Virginia. We also had a men's breakfast, but it happened to be on Sunday mornings at 6.30 And the man who made the gravy, I tasted it the first time, and I thought, this is outstanding. I cannot get over how good this is, and I must know. So I went to him like two or three months in a row for the breakfast, and I said, you've got to teach me how to make this gravy. And one day, he kind of got a little snide with me, and he said, oh, I'm happy to teach you. If you want to get up and get here at 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I will show you exactly what I do. (laughs) And... I just sort of chuckled that off. But then I thought, you know, I really want to know. So the next month when the men's breakfast rolled around, I got to the church at 3 a.m. <laughs> and I shadowed him and I wrote down everything he did. And uh, he was quite flattered. And I learned and I practiced on my family a bunch. And then when the topic came up to do a men's breakfast here at the church, I said, I can make sausage gravy. And mm-hmm. the rest is history there.
0: Is there a secret to it? Uh uh, yes, kind of.
1: I'm not going to reveal it on this program, <laughs> but uh, I will say it tastes wonderful, but it is so bad for you.
0: <laughs> okay. What time do you get here to prepare the gravy in case someone who is listening wants to shadow you? <laughs> uh,
1: usually about 4.30, um, the two hours before the breakfast. Mm.
0: So. Okay. So you're running on steam here and Diet Mountain Dew at this point in the day, which <laughs> exactly. is only nine o'clock, but you've been out <laughs> since 3 <laughs> All right, I want to talk now about the church calendar. You taught me a lot about the church calendar when you came to the church, and I want you to tell those who are listening about the calendar and then about a couple of services that are coming up, our Ash Wednesday service and our Maundy Thursday service.
1: I first became in, uh, interested in the church calendar as a uh, as a teenager, a late teen, um, and the church that I had gone to that was not Baptist was in the middle of the season of Advent, and I had no idea what they were talking about, but I found it really meaningful, even not knowing what it was, what how it fit into my worship life at that time. And so I began to inquire, and then then, then I learned that there were more seasons than the season of Advent, and it was a preparation time. And I loved figuring in a time of preparation for special days that we celebrated at church. For example, in my small church, and I'm not saying anything negative about them, uh, but, you know, I almost didn't know it was Easter. The way that I learned Easter Sunday was coming was I finally got loaded into the car to buy a suit. (laughs) And I was like, okay, Easter's on its way. And then Easter came, I wore the suit, and then it was over. And it just seemed odd to me that it would be so fast. And when I learned, actually, that there was a season of Lent, that preceded Easter, and that then Easter was not just a day, but an entire uh, seven Sunday period of celebration of Christ's resurrection. It really resonated with me, and I thought, "This is great! This is what the church should be about." And then I had, uh, you know, friends who would tell me who had been practicing the church year that they enjoyed so much ordering their church's life around the significant life events of Christ, from his birth to growing up, to his ministry, his miracles, his uh, final last walk on this earth on the on the last week and the things that he did, and then finally his glorious resurrection, and then his ascension also as well. Um, all of that made so much sense to me that the church should retell Christ's story year after year. And so that was very important to me. And so as a result— As I got into my doctoral studies, I I did a whole study on it in um, celebrating the Christian year and Baptist theological identity, and um, I've loved it ever since, and I've been in ministry full-time since 1992, and I have celebrated Advent at every church I've been, and then sometimes they've let me do more, and then, of course, when I came to Mountain Brook, we did all of it, so Mm -hmm. it was great.
0: So we have a service coming up on Valentine's Day, which is also Ash Wednesday. Tell us a little bit about that service.
1: Ash Wednesday is, I think, a very important service. That is is one part of the Christian year that is actually not part of the life events of Christ. And so uh, I've done a lot of study on that so I I could teach about it in my curriculum that I wrote on the the Christian Year to Baptists. I think it's important for Baptists because the whole point of an Ash Wednesday service is for you to be confronted with your mortality and then also confronted with your sin. Now, in tr- church traditions that um, that use ashes themselves and put a, a cross ash on your forehead or on your wrist or something, I think it's an even more poignant reminder of our finality on this earth Because it just reminds you, when when the minister puts that cross on your forehead or whatever in the ash, the words that he or she says is, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. And that is a very uh, sobering statement to be said and to be confronted with, because even as, uh, as we age and as we grow older, and when we put people who pass away into coffins and try to dress them up in their best clothes and things. I'm not saying anything of disrespect. I'm just saying we don't like to be faced with death. We don't like to confront that idea. And the cross image on the ash on yourself and hearing those words reminds you that I am only here on this earth for a finite amount of time, and I don't know when that will end. And it matters today how I live for Christ, and that I need to be prepared for that, that ending at some point. So I need to take that into consideration, ask the Lord to forgive me, to continue to fill me up with His presence so that I can be the best version of Christ to my friends and portray Him to them in the most missionary way possible to let people know about Christ.
0: So we at Mount Royal Baptist aren't ready for the ashes just yet, but we kind of do something that represents ashes. So talk about that. Yes. I uh,
1: came up with the idea of what we do because the church that I served in when I first did it uh, was also not used to ashes or whatever. And so I wanted to have, since it was called Ash Wednesday, I wanted to have some sort of ash element (laughs) to the service. And so I took an old Old idea from youth camps where you would write, your your camp pastor would ask you to write your sins down on a piece of paper and then come and drop the piece of paper into the campfire and you know be forgiven as a symbolic action for that. And I I thought that would be wonderful to do, but how will you do that inside a church without setting off the sprinkler (laughs) system? (laughs) So, so I. I don't know how I came up with it, but I remembered watching magician shows and sometimes they did like flames and things and they used flash paper. And so I started looking online for flash paper and I found um, a, a magic website that would offer 20 small sheets of flash paper. And so I said, this is it. So we give everybody a small piece of flash paper. They can write on the piece of paper, a particular sin or sins that they struggle with, or a, a something that they want the Lord to deal with them through a 40-day 40 40 day walk through Lent. And then we have the act of physically coming forward with that piece of paper folded and dropping it in a large glass bowl at the front. And then we have a time of confession together in that service and it's just a visual. It's a glass bowl on purpose so people can look at that bowl and see everybody's junk Mm -hmm. and the sin and the ugliness of their lives in this bowl. And then after we have our time of confession, I always usually get you to read scriptures that remind us of Christ's absolution of our sins, what he has done for us. And the last one that we read, um, reminds us that as far as the east is from the west, so has God removed our sin from us, where it can east and west can never part. So that's a pretty far way. And that to me is one of the best promises of God's forgiveness in the Bible. And immediately then we place a flame in the bowl of the flash paper. And it goes up in an instant in a huge mushroom of flame. You can actually feel the heat of it five to six rows back from you. And it makes a loud rushing noise, like a whoosh. And then it's flame and then it's over. And I think the best visualization is it's just a glass bowl in the end. And there is no ash. It's like it never happened. Mm. And for me... I like visual reminders of Christ's forgiveness, and that is something that's very meaningful to me in my life and in my walk.
0: Before we end, I want to hear about the Maundy Thursday service as well, and I think that that will be on March 28th.
1: Yes, Maundy Thursday is, uh, Maundy stands for a command, and it's a new commandment. I give to you. Some of our church friends uh, in the other rooms of the Christian faith practice foot washing because Jesus washed the disciples' feet and uh, he gave us a new command to love one another. And that's where we get Maundy Thursday. It's sometimes also called Holy Thursday. But it is designed to be a part of the last week of Christ's walk on this earth that we call Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and then moving throughout the week and following Jesus' steps when we get to Thursday, he washed the disciples' feet, and they shared a meal together. And so we always take communion on Maundy Thursday. And then we sort of blend a Good Friday tenebrae service, which means a darkening of lights, with uh, the ending of our Monday Thursday. Once we finish communion, then we normally transition into a time of um, the seven last words of Jesus from the cross or something of that nature. And uh, this year, particularly, we are going to have a sung version of the gospel passion of Christ from St. John. And then we, we finish by chanting Psalm 22, which is the psalm that seems like Jesus wrote from the cross. And, you know, it's impossible, but it seems like that. Um, it has, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Jesus did say from the cross. So possibly Jesus might have even been quoting that psalm. So it's a and and then during that time we remove everything that is a semblance of beauty from the front of the sanctuary. The choir leads the loft. We leave the front of the sanctuary as bare as we can while we're chanting that psalm. And then we cover our brass cross with a black cloth symbolizing Christ going into death in the tomb. And then we leave it like that. And for me, it is a meaningful and an aching part of the service, but it makes my Easter Sunday celebration so much deeper and greater because of the way we leave Maundy Thursday. When you walk out Maundy Thursday and you walk out in silence, not talking to anybody, which is what we ask you to do, and you walk out in darkness after seeing all of those symbols, your heart just breaks and you, you want, I want Easter Sunday to be right now and It just makes that Friday wait and that Saturday wait build up the intensity for coming on Easter Sunday ready to sing your best and to worship your strongest for the Lord, for the love that He's shown to you to take that death on and then to be raised and to provide us a way for salvation to God.
0: I'm excited about these services coming up, and I just want to thank you for all the ways that you are working in partnership with the people of Mountain Brook Baptist to make this a very special place. So thank you for that. Would you end our time together with prayer?
1: Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for your word that we've been able to read this morning. I'm reminded of that last verse of the psalm. With God, we will do valiantly. And I want to be a valiant soldier of Christ for you. And I know so many do that are listening today. And I pray for all of us as we struggle together to walk this Christian faith, that Lord, you would be present there, guiding each and every step, and that we would be reminded to follow you. And that's the best way that we can live our lives. So watch over us, protect us, and give everybody the best workday that we can have. In Jesus' name.